Let's open in Scripture this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at the subject of the Holy Spirit. And there's certainly much said about the Spirit in this chapter, especially in connection with the preaching of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God." For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but with the but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man." Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And then in John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says this, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And then we turn back one more chapter, or two more chapters, to John 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. It's with those biblical passages in mind that we consider this morning, Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. 
treating the Apostles' Creed, I believe, the Holy Spirit. Question 53 on page 12 in the back of the Psalter. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? And the answer first, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he has also given me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. The treatment of the Holy Spirit here in the Catechism, beloved, is very brief. And I say here because even though it's treated very briefly here, there is treatment of the doctrine and the Bible's teaching on the Holy Spirit throughout the Catechism. And let me quickly peruse the Catechism, and you'll recognize these things. In Lord's Day 1, the Holy Spirit assures me, in Lord's Day 3, except we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. In Lord's Day 7, the Holy Spirit, by the gospel, works personal confidence in the child of God. In Lord's Day 8, we have the Holy Spirit and our sanctification as His primary work. In Lord's Day 12, Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and we as Christians are anointed by the Holy Spirit. In Lord's Day 14, the Savior was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. In Lord's Day 18, the Holy Spirit is sent as an earnest of our salvation. In Lord's Day 19, by the Holy Spirit, Christ pours out heavenly graces upon us. In Lord's Day 21, the Holy Spirit gathers the church by the Word. In 25, faith is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 26, baptism symbolizes our being washed by the Holy Spirit. In Lord's Day 27, the Holy Spirit is promised to our children as well as to adults. In Lord's Day 32, we are renewed unto good works by the Holy Spirit. And then in 45, God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who sincerely and thankfully pray for the Holy Spirit. So, you see, the treatment of the Holy Spirit is throughout the entire catechism. And there are two things that I want us to observe about that. First is this, that when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit Himself and the Bible's teaching on the Holy Spirit Himself, we really don't need to say much. That this summary here in Lord's Day 20, which is very brief, is really enough. Because we are looking at the Holy Spirit and we are coming to the Holy Spirit, and we are being taught by the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. Whenever we come to Scripture, whenever we hear the Gospel, whenever Jesus Christ is brought to us, whenever by faith we come to Jesus Christ, we're always dealing with the Holy Spirit. And you see that in the whole list of things that I gave from the references in the Catechism to the work of the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to spend much time on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit Himself, because we're always dealing with the Holy Spirit. 
And then the second thing I want us to see about that this morning is this, that this actually reflects the self-effacing character of the Holy Spirit in His work. This reflects the self-effacing character of the Holy Spirit in His work. As He is, so He works. Self-effacing, that's the way He is. He is a spirit. He is invisible. He works mysteriously. He works in the background. He never calls attention to Himself. He is the light who's directing us and pointing us always to Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. And He says, not me, but Christ. That's what we read in John chapter 16 and verse 14. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit that when He comes Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is not interested in us focusing on him, but the Holy Spirit is interested in his revelation. Remember, this is the book that the Holy Spirit has written. The Holy Spirit is interested in his revelation and in his work, in us looking to Jesus, and in us staying in the Scriptures. He's not interested in extra revelation. He's not interested in us looking to the Holy Spirit Himself. Now that's all said by way of introduction, not to minimize or to to make us think that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is unimportant or less important even. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to bring Jesus Christ to us and to bring us to Jesus Christ. He brings Jesus Christ to us in the Scriptures and He brings us to Jesus Christ by working faith in our hearts. And so, just as... The Holy Spirit is always present in the Scriptures and in the work of salvation and in the revelation concerning Jesus Christ. So, the Holy Spirit is always present in our daily lives. Directed by the Word of God, I believe. Directed by the Word of God, I live. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives me spiritual life. He opens my eyes to spiritual things. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And that means that every bit of our spiritual life, which we live day by day in this world, comes from the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual inclination, every conviction of sin, every cry of the soul to God, every scriptural insight, every good work. This is the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in your and in my life day by day. So even though the Holy Spirit doesn't call attention to Himself, the Holy Spirit is working mysteriously and powerfully in our lives. Let's consider this morning God the Holy Spirit Notice would be first his divine identity, second his saving work, and then third his abiding comfort. And those are the elements of the catechism here. 
his divine identity. He is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. His saving work. He's given me to make me by true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits. And then his abiding comfort, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. First we ask the question this morning, who is the Holy Spirit? And there are four things that we can say about that. First this, that the Holy Spirit is a real and a distinct person, the eternal third person of the Holy Trinity. What do we mean by a person? Well, another word that we would use is an individual. Individual. The person says I in distinction from all others. The person has a mind. The person has a will. And the person does things. The Holy Spirit thinks, wills, desires, and acts. And here it's important for us to Remember the doctrine of the Trinity, God is one in being and three in person. The one divine essence or Godhead is comprised of three persons, distinct, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we say that they're distinct, we mean that each of them think, each of them will, and each of them do in distinction from the other. That was certainly evident in the chapter that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I could point to many places in the chapter, but here's the work of the Spirit described in the Godhead itself. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 and 11, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. And then this, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. And there are great mysteries hidden in the mind and in the being and in the counsel of God that the spirit as the third person of the Godhead searches out and then reveals to us. And think of that in the Scriptures. That's what the Scriptures are. All that we need to know for faith and life. For what to believe for salvation and for how to live as Christians. And the Spirit searches out those things from God and reveals them to us. Not only in the Scriptures, but also in our hearts as God's people. So the Spirit does these things. And he wills to do these things. And we can go through Scripture and look at many different actions of the Holy Spirit, actions of the Holy Spirit that each demonstrate the personality or the distinct personality of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in Scripture, we're told, teaches, speaks, bears witness, gives, he searches, he quickens, he sanctifies, He forbids, He appoints. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be vexed. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. There's a sin against the Holy Spirit. And all those things tell us that the Holy Spirit is a real, distinct person. He is not just a force. He is not just a power. Sometimes we might say of something like music, there's power in music. 
The Holy Spirit is not like that kind of an impersonal force, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And that, of course, is always there in Scripture. You you can go all the way back to the second verse in the Bible and see that. The Spirit moved on the face of the waters. Moving is an activity. The Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. But it's not always clear that the Holy Spirit is a person until the day of Pentecost. And here we can draw a parallel to the day of the incarnation and the birth of the Savior, the second person of the Godhead, his distinct personality becomes clear in his distinct work in our salvation. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. When he's poured out on the day of Pentecost and revealed there, comes personally, we recognize him as a distinct person in the Godhead. So that's first. He's a real, distinct person. Second, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's not just a person, but he's God, one of the persons of the Godhead. And this is what the Catechism emphasizes when it says to us that he's true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. That is, he's as much God as the Father is God. He's as much God as the Son is God. True God. Co-eternal. He's equally eternal with the Father and with the Son. Just as we would say, the Son didn't have a time when he began to be, but he's eternally begotten, so the Spirit is equally eternal in the Godhead. And this is something that church has always confessed in the Nicene Creed. He's called the Lord and giver of life, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped, and glorified. So he's the creator, the Lord, and the giver of life, and he's worthy of our worship. And so in the scriptures, we find that the Holy Spirit is given divine names. When Ananias and Sapphira lie, not against men, but against God, the apostle Peter tells them that they've lied to the Holy Spirit. He's given divine attributes. He's called, for example, the eternal spirit. And divine works are attributed to him. Think, for example, of Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath or the spirit of his mouth. God is the creator by the spirit. So he isn't just a person, but divine person, equal in the Godhead with the Father and Son, worthy of our worship. And it's because of this that the child that is born of Mary is the Son of God. This is the way it's described to Mary in Luke 1, verse 35, when she asks, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel Gabriel says to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Think of the way that verse begins and ends. The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the child born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's child is God's child. So he's a person. He's a divine person. Then third, the Holy Spirit is a spirit. 
He's a spiritual being, a spirit. And the scriptures identify him as such. He's called in John 15, 26, in John 20, verse 22, the spirit or the breath of God. That reference also in Psalm 33, verse 6, which we just made concerning the creation, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And so Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to wind, not only in its power, but also in this, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so the Holy Spirit is real, but he can't be seen, a real person, but a spirit. That's what a spirit is. And the the fact that he's spiritual doesn't make him any less real. In fact, the things that are material, the things that we think of as so real because we can lay our hands on them and we can sense them, are the things that are temporary. All the things in this life that are material will perish while the spiritual things are eternal. Isn't that true even of the spiritual and the physical aspects of our own being. The body will decay in the grave while our souls will live in glory. So the Holy Spirit is a spiritual being and His his being invisible and spiritual fits again with how He works. He does His work in us mysteriously, secretly, powerfully. So three things. He's a person, divine person, a spiritual being. And then one more thing about the identity of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This is what he's called in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then that goes on to say that the Spirit of Christ is Christ in you, Christ in you, and it's the Spirit of God dwelling in you, and we are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. So all those things are said about the Spirit of Christ. What do we mean by the Spirit of Christ? Well, we mean that this is the Spirit who is given to Christ or rewarded to Christ. He is God's gifts to Jesus Christ. In Acts 2 verse 33 Concerning the exaltation of Christ, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says this, Him being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. When he ascended into heaven and received rewards and gifts for men in the glory of his ascension, essentially what he received was the Holy Spirit. That's the reward of the cross for Jesus Christ, received from the Father, and received from the Father as a gift so that He could give the Spirit to us, shed forth this which ye now see and hear. And that's why if we think about the the historical order of the unfolding of the salvation plan of God, The Holy Spirit is poured out after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Poured out on Pentecost after the work of Jesus Christ is finished. And He comes at Pentecost in a special way 
to the New Testament church and into the world of man to work in a, in a marvelous way among men. And again, we can point to a similarity to the coming of the second person of the Godhead. He comes to live and to dwell among men, to do his work. And so the Holy Spirit has come on Pentecost and is poured out and comes into the church and into the world of man to do his work. Jesus' gift to us in Acts 1 verse 4, I will send the Comforter. And over and over Jesus says this, I will send the Comforter. I'll give him to you. And the work of the Holy Spirit is essentially this, to bring Jesus Christ to us and to bring us to Jesus Christ. Well, we could put it this way. The work of the Holy Spirit is never separate from the gospel. The work of the Holy Spirit is never separate from Jesus Christ. All those whom Jesus Christ has come into the world to save and redeem by his blood as he lays down his life for his own are the same ones to whom the Holy Spirit comes in his blessing to apply the blessings of salvation to God's elect. Now it's important for us to see that connection because it avoids one of the common errors today the error of Pentecostalism and the errors of mysticism, which seek, we might say, extra operations and revelations of the Spirit outside of Christ and outside of the Scriptures. They look for an extra blessing beyond salvation, or in mysticism, an extra revelation beyond Scripture. And we, of course, can sometimes want that too. We want more. We want God to say more. And what Jesus says, he'll come, the Holy Spirit will, and he'll speak to you what he's received of me. That's what he'll show unto you, so that I may be glorified. And so in our quest for Christian experience, our quest for knowing God, we must always begin with And stay with the revelation that the Holy Spirit has given to us in the Scripture. God's Word is the way that the Spirit speaks today. That's the identity of the Holy Spirit. A person, a divine person, a spirit, and the Spirit of Christ, who brings Christ to us. That brings us to his saving work, and we could put it this way. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit is essentially this, to bring salvation to all those for whom Christ has earned it at the cross, to bring salvation to the elect and to bring the elect to Jesus Christ. And we can look at that from two points of view. We can look at that from the personal point of view, that the Holy Spirit brings salvation to me, or we can look at it from, we could say, a broader point of view in the work of the church and in history, history long from Pentecost to the return of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit to gather and to bring all the elect into glory and salvation. The Catechism here looks at this work of the Holy Spirit from the personal perspective. 
He's given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all his benefits. He's given me to make me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits by a true faith. Given me. What is the Holy Spirit's work in me? If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And over and over in the Scriptures, we, we read about the Spirit's work within. What is that Spirit's work within us? Well, primarily, and this is where it begins, the Holy Spirit's work is the marvelous and miraculous work of regeneration. We are born with a physical life, And when we are born into this world with that physical life, there is a legal and there is a spiritual connection that we have, and that is to Adam and Eve, our first parents, and they are dead spiritually, and so they bring forth that which is spiritually dead, that's you and me, conceived and born in sin, and on account of that we will inevitably go to eternal death, except we are born again. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and in regeneration, He creates a new life, a new spiritual life. There are five characteristics of the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration that I want you to think about this morning and remember. First of all, the work of regeneration is a miraculous work, a miraculous work. More remarkable than God's creation in the beginning when he said, let there be light. And there was light. I say more remarkable because the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, that God who commanded the light to shine in the darkness has shined in our hearts to give us a knowledge of Jesus Christ. In regeneration, we are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son by a marvelous command from God Himself. That happens in regeneration. He says, let there be light. Let there be life. And out of death, He creates life. So it's first a miraculous work. Second, it's a mysterious work. We don't know when or how the Holy Spirit does this work, the work of regeneration. Many can point to when they were converted. I've heard beautiful conversion stories. But there's a mystery, isn't there, in when that new life begins. In some, in the covenant child, it will begin before the first moments of consciousness. In others, it will come at some remarkable turning point in their life. But what a mysterious work. And that's what Jesus is pointing to in John chapter 3 when he compares the spirit to the wind and the work of regeneration to What the wind does, you can't see from where it comes or where it goes, but you can see what it does and the effects of it. 
And so is the work of regeneration, mysterious work. Third, the work of regeneration is a uniting work, a uniting work. That is, in regeneration, we are joined to Jesus Christ. His life comes into us. The power of his life becomes our new life. We are new creatures, made new creatures in him. A uniting work. Jesus speaks of this in John 15 as being grafted in. I am the vine, ye are the branches. And that happens at the moment of regeneration. In the catechism, it's described this way, that we receive not just the benefits of Christ, but we receive Christ himself. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus says in that same chapter, John 15, without me ye can do nothing. But once we are grafted into him, we say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now you go to the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians 2, and the Spirit of God that searches the deep things of God becomes our spirit. We have the mind of Christ, Paul says there. And he means that the Spirit of God comes into us. So we are united mysteriously, marvelously to Jesus Christ. A miraculous work, a mysterious work, a uniting work, and then fourth, it's a powerful work, a powerful work, a transforming work. The effects of regeneration are like something that can never be seen in any other work. The Holy Spirit, by this work of regeneration, gives us heavenly, divine, divinely gifted powers. And at the moment of regeneration, we are given to see with new eyes to understand spiritual things. The natural man receives not the things of God, but you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do see. Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 13, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Where does that come from? That spiritual sight, that believing hearing. Well, no man can say Jesus is Lord and no man can see the kingdom of heaven except he's born again. What a remarkable thing. And then there's one more thing about this marvelous work of regeneration and it is this, that it's an irreversible work, an irreversible work or we could say an unbreakable union. We are united to Jesus Christ in his saving work and that can never be taken away, never reversed. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. That's the assertion and the promise of Scripture. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, you cannot and you do not lose your regeneration. Born again, new creatures. And that's the life of heaven in you, the hope of of glory, Christ, in you. So the Holy Spirit brings salvation to me. He makes me a partaker of Christ in regeneration. And through that 
through that union to Jesus Christ in regeneration, I become a beneficiary of all the blessings of salvation, all the blessings that Christ has earned for me at the cross, all the inheritance of glory to come. Now, what is that? Well, we could go through and list those things, I'll say, as theological terms. Out of regeneration comes faith and calling and justification and sanctification and glorification. These are all the blessings that come to us from Jesus Christ. But you say to a child of God, what are the blessings that you enjoy? And he doesn't say, well, I've been blessed materially. I've been blessed in relationships. Now he speaks of the blessings of salvation. He says, I've been given eyes to see. My eyes have been opened. My eyes have been opened to my sin and to my Savior. That's repentance and faith, two sides of one coin. You can't separate them from one another. And he says in repentance, Christ, my only and my all. And the Holy Spirit does that. He, he brings us to Jesus Christ. Faith is not self-produced. Repentance is not self-produced. By grace are you say through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. To you it's given to believe in Jesus Christ. And the, Holy Spirit, and, the, and the Catechism summarizes that this way, that he makes me by a true faith partaker. And that means that faith itself is the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And the child of God, when he thinks of the blessings of salvation, rejoices in the fact that he has been given to believe. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are your eyes, for they see. And then more than that, the, holy, the, the child of God, thinking of the blessings that become his in Jesus Christ, says he's made me to walk in paths of righteousness. He's sanctified me. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that I walk in holiness. It's the Holy Spirit himself who is holy, who makes me holy. Or the child of God speaks of the joy that's his in forgiveness through faith. I'm justified. I'm accepted. The guilt of my sin removed. My righteousness in Jesus Christ. Or the child of God looks at the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. And he sees them in his life, and he sees the blessing of them in his life, not only, but that he, by the work of the Spirit, becomes a blessing in the lives of others. Think of these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are the things that the Holy Spirit makes me to be as I live with other believers, as I live in this world. And then by the work of the Holy Spirit, an angry man is a temperate man. By the work of the Holy Spirit, an impatient mother is a patient mother. And this is all the work of God's grace. 
So, blessings. He makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits. Those benefits come also in the church, in the communion of the saints, in the preaching of the gospel, and in the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives in the church, not just to me, but to others that I become a that I become blessed through. And then there's the blessing of our final glory. Them whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's all. The enjoyment of all these things is the work of the Holy Spirit. But now it's important for us to see this morning about these benefits and these blessings that they do not come and they cannot come to us separate from Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit, I'm made partaker of Christ and all his benefits. Those two things always go together. Some want heaven. Some want forgiveness. Some want peace in their relationship. Some want to be saved from the grip of Satan. But they never come to Christ. They never fall into the arms of Jesus. And these blessings and these benefits never come separate from Christ because the Holy Spirit always brings Christ. He shall receive of me, Jesus says, and shall show it unto you. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Lord's Day 1. He brings us comfort. But he also does this. He makes me sincerely willing and ready to follow Jesus Christ. So receiving Christ, I follow him and am blessed. He makes me a partaker of Christ and all his benefits. And what he does for me as an individual, child of God, as one of God's elect, he does for all of God's elect. He brings the saving work of Jesus Christ to everyone for whom Jesus laid down his life on the cross. How does he do that? He does that by the preaching of the gospel and missions. The Holy Spirit brings salvation to the elect, to us, by the preaching of the gospel and mission. So preaching and missions are the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to see here and emphasize here. And that's why I read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's the point that Paul wants to make there. Remember the Apostle Paul came to Corinth and Paul's teaching and Paul's authority and Paul's apostleship were questioned and challenged in Corinth. He didn't speak with the same authority as Peter He didn't have the same pulpit gifts as Apollos. And so they undermined, they sought to undermine his ministry. They said, I'm of Paul, or or, I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, Peter. And what's Paul's response here in 1 Corinthians 2? He says, well, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or wisdom. In fact, I was among you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And you ask the question, well, how was the power 
And how is the Spirit present in the ministry of Paul at Corinth? And it's this, that you turn back to the book of Acts and you see it, that the Apostle Paul brought the Word of God. He reasoned with them daily from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That's in Acts 17. And that was the power of his ministry, that he always brought the Word of God. That was the power of the Holy Spirit in his preaching, that it wasn't about him, it wasn't about Peter, it wasn't about Apollos, but it was about Christ. I determined to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, when he got in the pulpit, was determined. He was resolved that this was going to be about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And doesn't that tell us or remind us of the Holy Spirit? He'll not bring His own word, but what He receives from me, that's what He'll bring to you so that I may be glorified. And so on the fruit, when Paul speaks of the fruit of his ministry too, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, But it's God, God the Holy Spirit, that gave the increase. That's the Spirit's work. He works in the preaching of the gospel. And that's important for us to also remember as we come to to think about missions. It's not about method primarily. There is a biblical method for mission work, and it's important that we study that and understand that as we do mission work. But like preaching, the method is not in what's enticing or pleasing or appealing to man, what will catch attention, but it is to bring Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to bring God's Word, because this is what God, by the Holy Spirit, uses to awaken faith, to just faithfully bring the Word of God, and to bring that and to apply it to the heart of the sinner. Let me give you one surprising example of that from my own ministry. A young man came to one of the services in Spokane when I was a pastor there. And after the morning service, he talked with me briefly. I preached an Advent sermon on a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And one of his comments was, I've never heard preaching that just stays with and explains the text expository preaching. I invited him to come back in the evening, and he did, and then I was preaching on Lord's Day 38, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. And I simply explained what false witness was, and demonstrated from the Word of God that what's exposed by this commandment is the deceit that's in the heart of man. And all the ways that this demonstrates itself in our lives. I didn't know this till about a year later, but he told me that as he listened to that sermon, he came under a conviction of his own sin as never before. And I was simply explaining the Word of God. Never would have thought that it would have that kind of effect. Well, this is the Spirit's method 
for missions, isn't it? To bring the Word of God, to bring Jesus Christ and nothing else. And that's the significance of it for us and for the church. That is spirit-empowered preaching. The Word of God. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is the Spirit who will convince the world of sin. John 16, verse 8. And it's the Spirit who will open the mind of the natural man to receive the things of God. And He'll do that when Christ is brought in the Word of God. Finally, this morning we want to see the abiding comfort, the abiding comfort of the Spirit. This was certainly Jesus' concern uh, when he spoke to his disciples before he left. You can read John 13 through 17, and you certainly see that. His concern is that the disciples know that he is going to stay and abide with them, and that he'll do this by the Holy Spirit. I will send the Comforter to you. That's his repeated promise. And so the Holy Spirit comes as our abiding Comforter. When Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, shortly before his ascension into heaven, he's saying, I'm going to send the Spirit and In him, I'll be with you till the end of the world. And so with all the power and the wisdom and the sovereignty and the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit is with us as our comforter. The word for comforter in Scripture is paraclete. It's really the idea of one who comes alongside you to to help you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. In doubt, he comes with assurance. In ignorance, he instructs. In controversy, he leads into the truth. In our weaknesses, he strengthens and gives grace. When we are divided, he unites. And so the Holy Spirit lives and remains and is the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus Christ and even the fulfillment of the Father, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He lives, and he abides with us forever. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, not only, but to us as individual believers. We're thankful that he brings us to Christ and brings Christ to us in the Word and by the working of faith. Help us, Father, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and to be grounded in the Scripture, which is the Spirit's revelation. And hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.